Yeah, hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick Kadoon. I'm one of the pastors here at Airdrie Alliance Church. And it's, uh, it's good to be get to good. Wow, let me start that again. Hi, uh, it's good to be together. Man, all right, cool. Well, uh, if you have your Bible with you, I want you to come along with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2, starting at verse 42. Again, that's Acts 2, 42. And as you turn there, uh, allow me to introduce where we're heading with this morning's message. Uh, we're, we're continuing on in our unstoppable series in which we've been looking at the vision that God has given us as a church. And, and it really is an awesome vision, isn't it? Can anyone shout out what the vision is? Without cheating, don't cheat. Releasing the kingdom of heaven on earth. Whoever said it, you guys get a gold star. Come and see me after. Just kidding, I don't have gold stickers, but this is our vision, right? Releasing the kingdom of heaven on earth. This, this is why we're here. This is why we exist as a church. And really, this is a picture of the future that God is, is calling us into. I don't know about you, but I long to see this happen, amen? I long to see this happen. I long to see the glory of God revealed on the earth. I long to see captives set free in the name of Jesus. I long to see broken, healed, and bound up, to see marriages restored, to see men and women walking in freedom and fullness of life. I long to see those far from Jesus restored and, and returned return home into the, into the loving embrace of the Father. I long to see the kingdom of heaven released in such a way that, that lives around us, ours included, are, are radically transformed by the Holy Spirit here now. I want to see all of this. And, and I know many of you want to as well. Amen? Yeah, we want this, right? And the good news is, friends, that this is what God is calling us into. This is what he's calling us into. You see, the kind of church that Jesus is building, it's not a church of hesitancy or caution or, or, or holding back. It's not a wimpy church. It's not a powerless church. It's not a church that fails to make an impact in its city and region. No, that's, that's not the kind of church that Jesus is building. Instead, what does he say in Matthew 16, 18? He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Right? The church is unstoppable, friends. It, the church is unstoppable. Nothing can come against this. And, and Jesus is longing for his church, for us, to, to rise up and to become that thriving, spirit-empowered, supernatural, world-changing community that he died for us to be. This is our calling as a church. This is our vision. And so the question is, how, how does that get done? How do we see this come to fruition? If we're really going to see this vision become reality, what, what is God calling us to do so that the kingdom can actually be released in all of its fullness here on earth? The answer, or at least part of it this morning, the, the answer, friends, it's found in community. The answer is found in community. As a church, we have prayerfully identified those things that we feel called to do in order to release the kingdom of heaven on earth. And really, that's the purpose of this series, to unpack what we feel called to do. You know, over the past year, the past number of months, we've sought the Lord, um, and, and we've felt led by Him to identify these four things, these four pillars of what we're called to do in order to see that vision become reality. And these are encounter God's presence. Pastor Sandy preached on this a few weeks ago. Uh, the second one is embrace kingdom life. Pastor Nathan preached on this two weeks ago. And then there's also change the world. And then this morning we're going after experience community. So let's start this morning in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. You guys there? Have you found it? We're good to go? Acts 2 42. This is the word of the Lord for us today. 
And they, says Luke, they being the Christians, the disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Father, we come to you today with uh, arms, with hearts open. We, we ask you to lead us. We ask you to speak to us this morning, God, by your word and through, through your spirit. <laughs> speak to us, we pray. Lead us, God. Challenge us. Encourage us, God, do what only you can do. Amen. Amen. Well, if we're ever going to release the kingdom of heaven on earth, if we're ever going to be that supernatural, world-changing church that Jesus longs for us to be, then what this text is telling us this morning, Acts 2, it's telling us, friends, that community is non-negotiable. Community is a non-negotiable. While the text doesn't explicitly say that, right, it's implied. Let's just look back at what we just read, right? Acts chapter 2, what do we see here? Here's this group of people, these followers of Jesus, and what are they doing? They're hanging out with one another. They're eating and drinking. They're in each other's homes. They're studying the scriptures together. They're praying together, worshiping together. They're doing life with each other. They're even helping one another out. Right? If there's a need in the community, people are selling possessions to, to meet those needs. And it sounds almost as if they're enjoying it too, right? Come on. What, what are they doing? They're in community, friends. They're in community. They're spending time together. They're taking care of each other. They're loving on one another. And it's, and it's authentic and it's, and it's beautiful. And what do we see as the result of this kind of community? What do we read in verse 47? And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Wow. Wow. Daily. They're seeing new people come to faith. Why am I able to say that for the church that longs to release the kingdom of heaven on earth, that community is a non-negotiable? Friends, because it's only in the context of community, of true biblical community like we see here. Right, intentional relationships, authentic relationships, fueled by, by love. It's only in this context that we are truly able to, to, in the fullest sense, encounter God's presence, embrace kingdom life, and go out and change the world. It's only in community can we truly release the kingdom of heaven on earth. You see, if we want to be effective to our ministry to the world, we first have to be effective in our ministry to one another. Community, friends, true biblical community, it is essential to the vision that God has given us. So that's what we're going after today. In his latest book titled The Last Arrow, pastor and author Erwin McManus, he wrote these words, if the scriptures are to be taken seriously, there is no journey toward God that does not bring us to each other. Let me read that again. If the scriptures are to be taken seriously, there is no genuine journey toward God that does not bring us to each other. In other words, the closer and deeper we grow in our relationship with the Father, the, 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 the closer and deeper we should be growing in our relationships with one another, right? 
And this makes sense biblically, right? We see this all over the scriptures. The idea that we're not only called to live in relationship with God, but with others. We're, we're not meant to live in isolation from the Christian community, but we're meant to live within the Christian community. This is God's ideal. This is how he designed things to work. And yet, and yet, if we take a real hard look at the church as it is today, all too often this just isn't the case. Would you agree? And why is that? Have you guys ever wondered this? Have you ever wondered why we so often fail to see the importance of entering into authentic relationship with those we worship with? Or what about, have, you ever, have you ever wondered why we so often find it a challenge, a hardship, perhaps even a nuisance to engage with others in the church in meaningful ways? Or what about this? Why are so many of us kind of like this? We're opposed to Christian community. We're opposed to experiencing what we see in Acts 2. Is it, is it because we're just too busy? Our work, our jobs, too demanding. Our kids, their schedules are so full of school activities and sports and dance and other extracurricular stuff that we just can't pack one more thing into our lives. We're just wet, maxed out, way too full. Maybe it's because we just don't see the value in Christian community. Maybe it's because we, we're under the impression that we don't need anyone else in our lives. I'm fine, thank you. I don't, I don't need community. I don't need relationships. Have we convinced ourselves that we're able to effectively do this thing called the Christian life on our own by ourselves? You know, just, just me and God, me and my Bible. Why are we so afraid of letting others into our lives? Why are we so afraid of letting people see the real me? Have you ever wondered this? I mean, if the church is meant to be this relational thing, if the church was meant to be lived out in an authentic community like we see here in Acts 2, I, why do many of us find it so difficult to really truly do that? And I, want, I wonder if it's because we have a misunderstanding or a faulty view of what the church really is. Now, now what if I told you that this building we're sitting in right now is not the church? Would that shock you, surprise you? This, this building that we're in, as beautiful as it is, friends, it's not the church. Let, let, me, let me explain this. Guys, think back to your childhood, okay? I know for, for some of you that's a very, very, very long time ago, but help me, okay? Entertain me. Let's think back to our childhood, all right? Do you guys remember this little game that people used to play with us? It was like a way to teach about the church. They'd fold their hands like this, and they'd say, here is the church, here is the... Right? Every church apparently has to have a steeple. And then they say, open the doors and see all the people, right? You guys remember this? Gold stars for everyone today. This is awesome. This is great. I'm having a blast. Right? So we know this little poem, right? I bet you some of us even teach this to our kids. Would you? No one's admitting it, right? Le- level of laughter, level of guilt, right? Okay. But I wonder if our current misunderstanding of what the church really is stems from little teaching tools like this. You see, as innocent as this thing is, I think being taught this at a a young and impressionable age for for generations, it seems like, I think that it has somehow negatively warped our understanding of what the church really is. You see, friends, that the church is not the, the building. The church isn't the building. The church is the people inside of the building. The church is us. We are the church and by, by equating the building with the church, I think we have reduced the church to be so much less than what she really truly is. You see, by, by saying that the, the church is the building, this, this thing that is made of bricks and mortar, this, this impersonal thing constructed of dead, cold materials, 
but by saying that the church is the building, but we've actually confined the church to this geographical location, right? To a certain address. We've reduced the church's ministry to a weekly time on Sundays. We've reduced the church's ministry to this, this little amount of stuff that we do inside the four walls of our building. Friends, the church is not this powerless, lifeless, inanimate object. Friends, we are the church. It's us. And yet by equating the church to a building, we've, we've, we've taken the idea of church from being about community to all about facility. You see, we've made the church from being about people to programs. We've made the church being about relationships to a mere 60 minutes of worship once a Sunday. You see what I'm talking about? By equating the church to the physical building, this building that really is nothing more than a tool, We've actually made the church more about consumerism, about me, what, what are my needs, what can I get out of this, my, my preferences, versus, man, what can I give to this community? What can, I, what can I give to the people that are part of this body called the church of Jesus? You see, Jesus never came preaching about a building. He didn't. He came preaching about a kingdom, right? A, a living kingdom, a powerful kingdom. And, and together, you and I have been invited into this kingdom to, to work as, as one to see that great vision and mission of Jesus is fulfilled. The church is more than brick and mortar, friends. And yet, I think often we've just reduced it to that. And so it's no wonder why we, we fail to see the, the value of relationships in the church. is because we don't see the church as community, but just facility. The building isn't the church. Friends, we are. We are the church. And Jesus has built this thing called the church as a, as a living, breathing organism. And he has designed us to be this deeply relational community that is interdependent upon all of its members. Everyone assisting and, and helping and contributing to her great cause. Everybody in relationship with one another supporting each other, loving each other, encouraging each other, spurring each other on to love and good deeds. This, this is what the church is. This is how Jesus designed the church to look and feel and function. It's not about the building, it's about the people. So if the church isn't a physical building, then what is it? What is the church? Well, first, friends, the church is a family. The church is a family. In Ephesians 2, verse 19, you guys can turn there with me if you'd like. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. We read these words. Consequently, you know, are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. As the church, friends, you and I, says Paul, are members of the household of God. We are members of the, of the family of God. The church is a family, friends. It's not a building, it's not a business. It's not random group of people kind of matched together because of geography or where we work or live or because of worship, worship preference style, right? It's not this random group of people that are together by chance. No, instead, Paul says, we're actually a family. We're here for a purpose. Paul talks more about this idea of church as a family in Romans 8. Romans 8, starting at verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the what? children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the spirit in us, we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The church is a family. It's a family, and yet, why is it that when it comes to the church, instead of treating each other with the, the same love we would to our parents, with the same grace that we would extend to our siblings or to our kids, what, why is it that you know, when we have this desire to spend a whole bunch of time with our family, to, to do life with our family, to, to, to eat with our family, right? I know we all have weird uncles that we don't want to spend Thanksgiving with, but I'm not talking about that, right? When we come to the church, though, as a family, why is it that we all too often just treat each other like strangers? And we're, we're kind of cold towards each other, or we're, we're unwilling to engage, we're unwilling to open up and just be our authentic selves. We're unwilling to let each other into our lives. Why is that? I think it's because we fail to recognize the church is a family. We're siblings. What Paul is saying here in these two texts, Ephesians 2 and Romans 8, he's saying, you and I, we're not strangers, we're not foreigners to one another. We're not, we're not enemies, man. We're brothers, and we are sisters. You see, we've been adopted by the same dad, amen? We, we've been indwelled by the same Holy Spirit. We've been made co-heirs with him by the same brother. His name is Jesus, and his friends, or his family, we, we, we share the same spiritual home. We, we share the same family name. We share the same life-giving presence of God that is now in us. And we are now, says Paul, more deeply and intimately connected than ever before. We are family. And this is why community is a non-negotiable in the church. You see, community is, is essential to a healthy family. Relationships are essential to healthy family. I know that some of you come from dysfunctional homes, broken homes, homes where you guys do not get along, you don't like each other, but friends, that is not the case here in the church. It can't be the case here in the church, amen? It can't be. If we want to be a healthy family, a healthy church, then we've got to be people who, who love one another, who see the value in spending time together, who, who long to be in relationships with one another, being open and honest and vulnerable with one another, doing, doing life together, eating, drinking, worshiping, Praying, having fun, actually enjoying each other's company. If we really truly want to see the kingdom of heaven released and all that comes with that, we've got to realize that we can only do this within the context of true biblical community. Family, healthy family. And what did Jesus say to, John, uh, to his disciples in John 13? He asked a question, he says, how will, you, how will the world know that you are my disciples? How, how will the world know that you're part of my tribe? Part of my family, my church, says it's through your love, your love to one another, how you, how you see each other, how you, how you treat each other. It's through our love. A healthy family is one of the most attractive things on the planet. If you don't believe me, just ask somebody who grew up in a broken, dysfunctional home. Man, healthy family is attractive. And the church is called to be an attractive, healthy family. So let's treat it as such, right? The mission depends on it. We've got to be in community. Well, not only is the church a family, but it's also a spiritual house. Now, now what do I mean by this? I know I just talked about how the, how the church is not the building, right? 
So I don't want to confuse anybody. This physical building we're in, it's not the church. However, Scripture says that the church is a spiritual house. I want you to listen to these words from Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4. What does he say? He says, As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, the one rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. What, what he's saying here is that, that, that the church is being built together piece by piece by Jesus into this, into this house. And, and he was trying to convey here in this text is, is that we need each other. We need to support each other, build off of one another, because it's only together that we bring strength to the whole. Are you following me? It's only together that we bring strength to the whole. Uh, as a kid growing up, my dad owned a framing company, and, uh, and he built houses in and around the Fraser Valley area. I grew up in Kamloops, B.C., and um, as he was uh, you know, working away, once in a while, we would get to go and visit him on the job sites. It wasn't very often, so it was kind of a special treat, and my mom would take us, me, my brother, my sister, we'd go and check out one of these houses that he's kind of in the middle of constructing, and, uh, and as we were, we were there, you know, he starts putting us to, to task, where we're helping my dad, you know? And uh, it's kind of like free child labor, but that's okay. I forgive him. No, no soul wounds to deal with, right? Just kidding. It was a blast. I loved it. I, I loved getting to, uh, to go and to do this with my dad, not only because I got to see him in his element, right? He's a, he's a big, strong guy, and he, I love watching him use his hands to build and craft these, these, these homes, these beautiful homes. That was awesome, seeing him use his creativity to take a, a pile of raw material and turn it into this strong, beautiful house, I love seeing that, but what I loved most about going and visiting him at work was getting to explore these, these big houses. And so, um, you know, as a little kid, I loved being able to kind of walk around and, and see these, like, stud-framed walls, right? Unfinished homes, wooden floors, nail marks everywhere, running up and down rickety, sketchy stairs that I probably shouldn't have been playing on, right? That kind of stuff. I loved it, and I especially loved getting to see how all the different pieces work together to build the house, I would, I would sneak into the basement, right? I, I was never actually allowed to go into the basements because it was dark and scary. But I'd go down and kind of hang out in the, in the gravel floor and see the foundation and how the, how the walls were built on top of the foundation. And then you'd see how the beams and the joists would go across the house and make, make this, this um, structure so the floor could be put on top of it, right? And then you'd go up the stairs, the sketchy stairs, and then you'd see how the next layer of walls were being built on top of, uh, of the floors. And then how the, how the trusses were put on top of those, those walls. And then how those trusses were being covered with wood and with asphalt shingles, right? To kind of hold the whole structure together. And it was all of these pieces being used to bring strength to this house. Right? All these different materials, wood and concrete and steel, all being, being utilized to make this one beautiful, strong dwelling place for a family. Why, why, why do I tell you this story? Oh, and by the way, confession moment. Um, if you ever built a home in Airdrie, I probably went into it. Um, I, I had this weird fascination with like checking out people's unfinished, being built homes. So I'm sorry, I, I ask for your forgiveness. That was just a weird thing I used to do as a teenager here in Airdrie. So in the last 18 years, if you built a house, I didn't take my shoes off, I'm sorry. But uh, I know that you guys will forgive me for that, right? But why, why do I tell this story? Uh, just like the different pieces of these houses are, are needed to make this, this home one that is strong and, and solid and sturdy and complete. Friends, so too do we need each other to make the church this thing that is strong 
and sturdy and solid and complete. The church is a spiritual house, and it's been designed by Jesus to have all of its parts, all of its pieces, all of us united and working together in relationship and community with one another to ensure that this, this thing called the church could be strong. But not only that, not only to make the church strong, but friends, supporting one another to make us strong. Are you following me? To make us strong. I want to talk about this thing called Lone Ranger Christianity for a moment. Do you guys know what I'm talking about when I say that? Lone Ranger Christianity, if you're unfamiliar with this term, essentially what, what it means, it's just this belief that I can live out my Christian faith in solitude from the rest of the Christian community, right? It's this belief, and it's actually a false belief. It's a, it's a misunderstanding of what the church really is, and I, and I think it's rooted in one of two things, okay? Not always, but most of the time, it's rooted in one of these two ways. It's rooted in pride, this belief that I don't need anyone, that I'm, I'm, I'm good on my own, right? That I, I can do this because I know best. It's rooted in pride. And then second, I think it's rooted in shame. I, I don't want to do this with other people because I don't want them to see the real me. I, I, don't, I don't want to let them in. I'm afraid of exposure. I, I'm afraid of being found out. And these, these two Ideas, these two trains of thought, pride and, and shame, they actually lead to us doing this thing called Lone Ranger Christianity. And just like the belief that the church is a physical building is incorrect, so too is the, is the belief that I can be a Christian apart from Christian community. It's not right. It's incorrect. You see, a solitary faith, friends, is not a Christian faith. We were not made to do life alone. You were not made to do life alone. Alone, God never intended us to walk out our Christian faith in isolation, devoid of relationships, devoid of community, devoid of physical, emotional, spiritual connectedness with other believers. This is not the, the Christian faith Jesus modeled for us, right? This isn't the faith he established. Jesus had his, his three, then he had his, his 12, right? Then he has his 72. He was surrounded with people. He lived in community, and this is not what the scriptures teach for us. In fact, they, in fact, they teach the exact opposite, right? If we're meant to do the Christian walk alone, then why do we see in scripture commands like this? Galatians 5.13, serve one another in humility and love. Galatians 6.2, carry one another's burdens. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, encourage one another. Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another just as Christ forgave you. James 5.16, pray for one another. Hebrews 10.24, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And back to James, what does he say? Confess your sins to one another. How can these verses be obediently lived out if we're not living in the context of Christian community? It's simple. They can't. They can't. They can't be lived out. We were never meant to do this journey called the Christian life alone, but this is exactly what the enemy of our souls wants us to do. Come with me to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, I want us to look at something here. You see, God wants us to be in community with others, but Satan actually wants us to exclude ourselves from community with others. And we can see here why. 1 Peter 5, 8b, the second part of this, it says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 
looking for someone to devour looking for someone to devour. Notice that the text doesn't say that Satan is, is roaming around looking for this small group of people to devour. Right? It doesn't say that he's roaming around looking for a strong, healthy, united church to pounce upon and try to bite and take a piece of flesh out of him. It doesn't say that, right? But what does it say? Instead, it says that he is looking for who? Someone. It's singular. He's looking for someone to devour. You see, the enemy of our souls, he's looking for men and women who are all alone. He's looking for men and women who are not attached to the body, who are not supported, who are not being strengthened by the rest of the the church. He's looking for men and women who are vulnerable, who are weak, who are susceptible to his attacks. Why? Because they're easy targets. You see, we are never more vulnerable to the enemy than when we are apart from Christian community. Has anyone ever been on an African safari? One person, awesome. Okay, so if I'm lying right now, don't, don't correct me in front of people, okay? But what, what I've heard, what I, just kidding. I would love to go on an African safari. I think that's awesome. That's like being my dream as a kid. And one, one day, one day I'll be able to go. But what I've heard about these safaris is that the reason why everybody's able to drive around in a Jeep with, with, with no roof and no windows and no doors amongst wild, crazy lions and different animals, the reason they're able to do this without being you know, eaten alive is because as long as the individuals stay inside of the Jeep, the lions don't see them as individuals, the lions see them as one giant creature. You guys following me? Right? That this, is, this is the reason instead, when the, when the people are together, the lions don't see them as individuals, the lions see them with this, this strength and this fearsomeness. But it's different, man. You get out of the vehicle, you go and walk by yourself through the wilderness, the safari of Africa, what's going to happen? Boom, game over. Womp, 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 womp. You know what I mean? Come on, man. It's, we got to be together. There's strength in numbers. And the same, friends, it's funny, but the same is also very, very true when it comes to our spiritual selves, when it comes to this journey of being with the church Right? Together, man, there's power in numbers. There's security in numbers, safety in numbers, defense in numbers. But alone, we are vulnerable to attack. We are vulnerable to this lion who is roaming around looking for someone to devour. This is why the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says in chapter 4 that two are better than one. Oops, two are better than one, right? Not two or two. That's bad math. Okay. Two are better than one, right? What does he say? If, if one falls down, what's going to happen? By themselves, they're, they've fallen down, but if there's two, the other can pick them up, right? If, if one is in, uh, in bed and they're asleep at night and they're freezing cold and there's nobody else, they're, they're freezing cold, but if there's somebody else, they can come and warm them up, right? By the way, that's only for married couples, okay? Don't misquote me. All right, we like keeping warm, right? Yeah. Woo! Um, sorry. All right. And then what else does he say? He says, though one might be overpowered, two can actually defend themselves. The one is overpowered, two can defend themselves. There's, there's strength in numbers. We were never made to do the Christian life all alone, all on our own. But when we're alone, man, we're an easy target for someone, for him, the enemy of our souls, to devour us. And so I want to say to you, if this is you, if you're a Lone Ranger Christian, I want to ask you today, what's keeping you from, from entering into biblical community the way that God designed it? What's, what's holding you back from this, man? Is it pride? Is it pride? Is it the belief that you don't need anyone else in your life? That you're, that you're strong enough on your own? That you're smart enough? That you're fast enough, wise enough? That you're better off alone than with others? Is it the belief that you've got it all figured out? 
man, I know everything there is to know. I, I don't need anyone else to tell me what to think, what to say, what to believe, how to act, how, how not to act. I'm good. I'm good. Is, 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 is pride keeping you from community? Or about this? Is it because there's some secret sin in your life that you don't want found out? Some guilty pleasure that you're doing that you know is wrong and you're not ready to stop quite yet. What's keeping you from entering into community? I want to tell you this. Pride is a killer. Man, it's a killer of community between us and others, but it's also a killer of community between us and God. And then there's shame. Shame is something else that keeps us from community. And really, shame is just pride in disguise. Shame has its roots in pride. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't seem like it, but it it does. And just like pride, it wants to keep us out of community with everybody. You see, shame, this feeling of humiliation and distress, these these feelings of embarrassment, of self-hatred for what you've done or or, or for what has been done to you. Shame, this this self-talk that tells you that you can't let anyone in, that you can't let them see the real you, that you can't let anyone know how screwed up you really are inside because if they knew you, if they knew the real you, they'd never accept you. They'd never love you. They'd never value you. And so this self-talk leads us to only one option. And friends, that's to hide. We see this back in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve. What happens when they sin? They hide from God. They hide from one another. Because they're filled with what? Shame. They're filled with shame. And shame causes us to hide, to pretend, to fake it, to put on a facade. And this too really, the, the roots of it, it's pride. Shame causes us to keep everyone at arm's length, God included, for fear of being found out. And it's a desire to look good on the outside, even though there's so much work. And we know this. We know that there's work to do on the inside. And if this is you today, I want to tell you some good news, friends. I want to tell you some good news. The good news of the gospel is that though God knows us fully, right, even though he sees our deepest, darkest secrets, our most heinous of acts, all of our sin, all those things that we've done or those things that have been done to us. The beauty of the gospel, friends, is that though God fully knows us, he still fully loves and accepts us just as we are. And he is extending grace and forgiveness to us even though that's the gospel. While shame pronounces us guilty and deficient, Jesus pronounces us forgiven and guiltless. While shame pronounces us dirty and and stained and defiled, Jesus pronounces us clean. While shame says there is no grace for you, Jesus says, he promises that his grace will always be accessible and that his grace will always be sufficient in all of our weaknesses. You see, while shame says you have no place in community, Jesus said, I died for you to be in community. Shame and pride are not our friends. They're not a foolproof defense mechanism to keep us safe. They're not a support system to keep us from getting found out. They're not our friends, man. Instead, they're tools of the enemy to keep us bound and imprisoned, to keep us vulnerable, weak, alone, to keep us far away from those who love us, who want to support us and help us and minister to us, lead us into freedom and fullness of life. Friends, if this is you, if pride is something you're struggling with, right now, I just want to encourage you, you got to repent of that. You need to repent. Call it what it is. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. But we also know that the love of the Father covers over a multitude of sins. Amen? Amen. 1 Peter 4, 8, 
Love covers a multitude of sins. That's that the context of that passage is actually in biblical community. What the author is saying there is that the love of the community, which is, which is actually an outflow of the love of the Father in us to one another, love covers over a multitude of sins. It's only in community that we really truly, friends, will experience the love of the Father. Is shame keeping you from community? Is pride? You've got to let it go. You've got to surrender it to Jesus. And you have to trust Jesus and trust what he says about true community. That it's here to bless you, to strengthen you, to grow you, to, to encourage you, to spur you on. It's not here to harm you. It's not here to hinder you. It's not here to find you out. And it's here to love on you. We just need to trust what Jesus has said, amen? Let's trust him. All right, what else keeps us from community? Two more things, then we're done. I'll invite the worship team, wherever they are. All right, they're awesome. Uh, to come on up. What else keeps us from community? Two more things, friends. Busyness and then past wounds and hurts. I want to start with busyness for a moment. Uh, we live in an insanely busy region of Canada of the world, don't we? Would you guys agree? Yeah, we, we are busy here. We are unhealthily busy. We, we are working harder than we've ever worked before. We are more slam-packed in our schedules with kids' activities than ever before. We are busy. When you look at the stats for Airdrie, no wonder that we are one of the highest places per capita in Canada for domestic violence. It's because we're going, we're going, we're going. People are stressed out, and then bam, something just snaps, and something happens, which they're going to regret for the rest of their lives. We are busy and it's our busyness that actually keeps us from, from seeing what's truly important. Right? We cram our schedules fuller than we think, I'm busy. What am I going to do? How am I going to self-medicate? Let's add some more, right? Busyness actually keeps us from truly noticing what's important. And by being busy, friends, we're denying ourselves this need, this innate need in us for community. I want to say to you, if you're too busy for community, then you're too busy. This is something that my wife and I are, are struggling with right now in our schedules. We've got three little kids. I'm an I'm employee here, pastor. I'm also a student. I've got kind of multiple things that we're working on, and it's busy. We feel like we're, we're not able to give ourselves to the community that we so desperately know that we need. And so this is something that we're, we're praying through. We're, we're asking God for wisdom. I'm asking Sandy, speak in wisdom, right? We, we want to be available to do life with, with you, with my family. And I know that many of you are in the same place as us. We've got to get rid of busyness. And then lastly here, past wounds and hurts. This is something else that keeps us out of biblical community as well. I know that for some of you, maybe many of you, you've been hurt in biblical community before. There's been something that was said to you, done to you. Maybe you were, you were lied to, you were betrayed, you were, you were cheated on. I don't, I don't know, but it's in the context of community that you were hurt. But I'm telling you right now, it's only within the context of community where you're going to find true healing. So I get it. I've also been hurt in community. But I've found healing in community as well. So I encourage you, if that's you today, whether it's unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, resentment, fear of being hurt again, friend, would you just surrender that to Jesus? Surrender to Jesus. He wants you to be in community, to be united, to, to have this family around you that loves you and that is supporting you and strengthening you while you strengthen it. 
and in turn, while we strengthen the whole, the body of Christ, the church. So if we're ever going to release the kingdom of heaven on earth, if we're ever going to be that supernatural, world-changing church that Jesus longs for us to be, friends, community is a non-negotiable. Because it's only within that context of, uh, of deep, authentic, intimate relationship with one another that we're able to truly, fully encounter God's presence, embrace kingdom life, change the world, and release this kingdom in all of its fullness. Amen? Let's be a part of a community that loves one another, that, that, that treats one another like family. Let's be a part of a community that supports and strengthens one another, that supports and strengthens the, the church. Let's be a community that is attractive. Let's be that healthy family that God is calling us to be. Let's be a community that is in relationship with one another, where no man is left behind, amen? Where no man is left behind. Everybody has a place here at the table with Jesus, amen? Everybody has a place here. Let's be a community where we can find healing, where we can find hope, where we can find freedom and fullness of life. Friends, that's the church, and this is supposed to be our experience. So are you with me? Can we experience community together? Yeah, let's stand on up. Let's stand on up. And I want you to stretch your hands out like this. It's a posture of receiving from the Lord. I want to say to you when we're done, we're going to have ministry team at the front. If you need to pray with somebody, if you need to pray, if you need to be ministered to, if you want to talk, come to the front. And our ministry team would love to, to, to minister to you. But let's have our hands and our hearts open. And let's pray. Jesus, we want everything that you want for us. That's our posture right now, Lord. We want everything that you want for us. And so, God, I believe that you're speaking to the church today. You're speaking to this church, this body, this family today, God. And you're encouraging us, God, to be intentional about our relationships with one another. God, no more hiding. We don't want to hide from you, God. We, we don't want to miss out, God, because there's a beautiful, rich experience that only comes when we are engaged with one another in deep and meaningful ways. And so right now, Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit, God, you would bring to mind uh, whatever it is, God, in, in, in the lives of my brothers and sisters, God, that is keeping them, that's keeping us out of community. God, bring it to mind, whether it's, it's past hurts and wounds, God. Maybe it's a misunderstanding of what the church is, God. Maybe it's secret hidden sin. God, what, what, what is it? Is it pride? Is it shame? Show us, Jesus. And then, Lord, give us the courage to surrender it to you. Give us the courage, God, to surrender it to you because we want what you want for us. So God, we just posture ourselves right now. We say yes to community. We say yes to community with you, Father. We say yes to community with those around us, God. We say no to busyness. We say no to walking alone. We say no to distractions, God, and we say yes to the family of God. Amen? We say yes to the family of God. Amen. All right. Okay, friends.